Welcome to the Kotke Ride Home for Tuesday, February 16th, 2021. I'm Jackson Bird. The new fruit taking over Instagram. Why the winter storm sweeping the U.S. is causing an energy crisis, especially in Texas. And a new-ish game that lets you take a virtual vacation with your friends. Here are some of the cool things from the news today. So there's a quick link posted on Kotke.org today that's kind of a case of history repeating itself that, I mean, I guess I should have seen coming in a way, but is absolutely making my head spin. So you know how in the 18th century, rich people from imperialist nations would import, cultivate, or literally rent pineapples to display in their homes and at parties as status symbols? The pineapple was new to places like the United Kingdom, so it had a certain mystique, but it was also super expensive to import and tough to cultivate in Britain, making homegrown ones also rare and expensive. So it became a coveted item, one people rarely ate, but rather just showed off as a centerpiece or carrying around with them. Eventually, it wasn't as rare or expensive to import, and the lower classes were able to afford it, so it was no longer a status symbol. But not before its imagery had left its mark in paintings, furniture carvings, wallpaper, and the public consciousness. Well, now, Del Monte is reviving this historical footnote by once again turning pineapples into an exclusive luxury item and influencer marketing campaign. They have created pink pineapples, as in pineapples that are grown to be pink on the inside instead of yellow. Not super pink, it looks kind of melon-ish, but still pink enough to be the next consumer good darling of verified Instagram pages. Del Monte assures you it's so pink you don't even need a filter. They grew it picture perfect for you and your adoring followers. Per Del Monte's official site for the Pink Glow Pineapple, trademarked, of course, Become the envy of your friends and followers with this highly sought-after delicacy. Pink Glow will look phenomenal on whatever social media platform is on vogue by the time you read this. End quote. Like, this literally feels like satire to me. You know, someone learned about the history of pineapples as status symbols and tried to guess what it would look like in our 21st century hyper-online influencer era, and this was it. Except it's real. The synthetic biology-focused online magazine Grow explains how Del Monte pulled this off. Quote, this is what you get when you tinker with Ananas Komosu's DNA to decrease levels of enzymes that convert lycopene into beta-carotene. With less conversion, the pineapple's classic sunny hue becomes 5R7-6. That artfully designated hue, listed on Del Monte's patent application, comes from the Munsell Color Chart, a system developed in the early 20th century by an artist who sought to create a scientific method of color notation. In its documentation of the fruit's 15-year journey from idea to reality, Del Monte also calls its creation rosé, or extra-sweet pink flesh pineapple. And if you order a $49 specimen from the company's direct-to-consumer pineapple portal, you'll discover that its official name, complete with a trademark, is the Pink Glow. End quote. And yes, that said 15-year journey. 
notably a full decade before Millennial Pink reached its apex. Quoting again, Regardless of where you sit on the spectrum between GMO'd foods are evil and GMO'd foods are awesome, it's impossible not to be impressed by the sheer marshalling of resources required for a company to spend more than a decade in pursuit of an edible meme. End quote. True enough, and genetically modifying food is nothing new. As Gro points out, crops have had their DNA tinkered with since the 80s for all kinds of reasons, from disease resistance to adding extra vitamins. This might be the first time it's been purely for marketing, though that's also arguable since some have been modified to prevent them from browning from oxidation, which is kind of just a cosmetic edit. And then there were those grapples, remember, in the early 2000s? Grape-flavored apples? What happened to those? Well, anyways, while Del Monte did everything above board in terms of the genetic engineering, and the FDA has confirmed that the pink glow is, quote, as safe as conventional pineapple varieties for its intended uses in human food, end quote, there's still the question of why. How much play are they expecting to get from this? 15 years of work for the fruit to go viral for a week? Are they hoping it will supplant yellow pineapples as a go-to? Or is it maybe just one of many experiments as they work on larger GMO projects? Maybe it's just another one of those classic cases summed up so well by Ian Malcolm. They spent so long being preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. Molly Young at Grow expands on the social media angle here, quote, at this point in human history, whole swaths of consumer goods have been engineered or re-engineered to draw covetous eyes and tapping fingers on social media. Book covers are designed with larger cover typography, all the better to show up well in an iPhone-sized grid. Instagram makeup is a category unto itself, with products designed specifically to translate spectacularly in photos, no matter how bizarre or clownish they might appear on real-life faces. And now, perhaps inevitably, there is Instagram fruit. As soon as the pink glow became available, it popped up on influencer feeds attached to ready-made hashtags like Bean Pink Glow and Jewel of the Jungle. Not surprisingly, Del Monte has pulled out all of the branding stops. Each pineapple arrives with a gold-sealed certificate of authenticity, congratulating the recipient on obtaining this royal delicacy, and a helpful reminder to tag hashtag pink glow pineapple and watch the likes pour in. End quote. On top of that, Del Monte is clearly wanting to keep the pink glow theirs alone. The pineapples, which have to be ordered online and cost $49.99 a pop, are shipped without their green leafy crowns. Del Monte says on their website it's so they can sustainably cultivate more of the pink pineapples, but Grow points out that it's also so other people can't. They don't want anyone else growing their proprietary pink glow pineapples. And hinting at a possible, more accessible expansion, there is a smaller, more affordable version for plebes called the Petite Pink Glow. But it's only available, weirdly enough, in my hometown, the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. And it's a steal at just $19.99. Notably, since writing this story, targeted ads for the Pink Glow Pineapple have been following me all over the internet, so as if I had any doubt before, I can definitely say this is an aggressive marketing campaign. Is this our future? 
crops designed for influencer marketing campaigns, coupon tracking codes for boutique vegetables. I mean, I guess in some ways, like if this gets people to eat more fruits and vegetables, that would be nice, but I can't help but feel this is all slightly dark. There's certainly some way that farm workers are or would be further exploited in a case like this, and something about it just feels very much like an episode of Black Mirror to me. But maybe I should just chill out and appreciate the technicolored pineapples. Well, speaking of Dallas-Fort Worth, Texas, it's one of the many regions in the South and Central U.S. facing a full-on disaster situation in the wake of a record-breaking winter storm. Millions across the state are without power, and many have been for over a day. As the Weather Channel pointed out yesterday, there were 2.5 million people in Texas without power. I've seen reports today putting the number over 4 million. Comparatively, Hurricane Harvey, the devastating Category 4 hurricane in 2017, resulted in 393,000 outages. So this is a huge deal. And it's left a lot of people wondering how it happened. You know, Texas is accustomed to hurricanes, tornadoes, and other severe storms. Like everywhere else, the government agencies don't always handle things perfectly, but they tend to know what to do in extreme weather. Of course, this kind of weather, ice, snow, and extreme cold, is not as common in the South. The infrastructure to combat the storm isn't there. Many towns don't have any rock salt or snow plows because they're so rarely needed. And a lot of individuals aren't equipped with the necessary gear or winter knowledge that may be obvious to northern counterparts. So there's all of that. But Bloomberg dug a little deeper, specifically on the energy crisis side of things. First, looking at all of the South and Central U.S. that's been affected by the storm over the last week, quoting Bloomberg, By February 9th, temperatures had plummeted from Denver to Chicago, and hundreds of places across the Central U.S. set daily temperature records. Prices for different types of heating fuels began to surge higher, including oil and natural gas. Demand for propane climbed to a 17-year high. Gas and electricity use similarly rose. As temperatures continued to fall, gas pipelines began to seize up. Wind turbines started to freeze and oil wells shut in, just as homes and businesses raised demand for heating to record levels. The strength of gas demand across the central U.S., especially in Oklahoma, caught some traders by surprise. Physical delivery of the fuel at one hub in Oklahoma traded at an astonishing $600 per million British thermal units. By Friday, February 12th, traders were panicking and trying to line up additional supplies for the long holiday weekend. That evening, Texas's chief energy regulators called an emergency meeting to prepare to ration gas supplies across the state. Texas's grid operator says widespread shortages of natural gas supplies to power plants and a decline in wind generation helped create the shortfall. Several other plants tripped offline amid the cold for reasons that aren't yet known. In all, the agency estimated that more than 34 gigawatts of generating capacity was wiped out. That's as much as 40% of the capacity that the region was expected to have online by summer 2020. Wholesale electricity prices in Texas skyrocketed to $9,000 a megawatt hour, the maximum allowed in the market, end quote. Now, in Texas, there are a few additional factors at play. 
Texas has a unique electric situation. Bloomberg calls its electric market the most competitive in the country. There are tons of options for power providers, and as a result, they tend to offer all kinds of low prices and incentives to potential customers, but aren't as reliable when it comes to extreme events, in part because they may not be prepared for those jumps in wholesale electricity prices. Further, Texas is unique among other U.S. states in that it has its own power grid. Kate Galbraith explained the reason for this in a Texas Tribune article back in 2011, the last time the state had to implement rolling blackouts for weather-related reasons. Quote, The separation of the Texas grid from the rest of the country has its origins in the evolution of electric utilities early last century. In the decades after Thomas Edison turned on the country's first power plant in Manhattan in 1882, small generating plants sprouted across Texas, bringing electric light to cities. Later, particularly during the First World War, utilities began to link themselves together. These ties and the accompanying transmission network grew further during the Second World War when several Texas utilities joined together to form the Texas Interconnected System, which allowed them to link to the big dams along Texas rivers and also send extra electricity to support the ramped-up factories aiding the war effort. The Texas Interconnected System had another priority, staying out of the reach of federal regulators. In 1935, President Franklin D. Roosevelt signed the Federal Power Act, which charged the Federal Power Commission with overseeing interstate electricity sales. By not crossing state lines, Texas utilities avoided being subjected to federal rules. Self-reliance was also made easier in Texas, especially in the early days, because the state has substantial coal, natural gas, and oil resources of its own to fuel power plants. End quote. And Texas's power grid, the Electric Reliability Council of Texas, or ERCOT, remains outside the jurisdiction of the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. Now, the other thing getting talked about a lot online is the fact that many of the state's wind turbines have frozen. But Dan Woodfin, a senior director at ERCOT, says this is actually one of the least significant factors to the whole situation. Woodfin says they've had issues with pretty much every kind of generating capacity, and that includes frozen instruments at natural gas, coal, and nuclear facilities. Quoting another article from Bloomberg, Wind shutdowns accounted for 3.6 to 4.5 gigawatts, or less than 13% of the 30 to 35 gigawatts of total outages, according to Woodfin. That's in part because wind only comprises 25% of the state's energy mix this time of year. While wind can sometimes produce as much as 60% of total electricity in Texas, the resource tends to ebb in the winter, so the grid operator typically assumes that the turbines will generate only about 19% to 43% of their maximum output. Even so, wind generation has actually exceeded in the grid operator's daily forecast through the weekend, end quote. Now, that's not to say they're playing no role, but certainly not the outsized role Twitter would have you believe. I'm sure there's going to be a lot coming out over the next several weeks, but Joshua Rhodes, a research associate at the University of Texas at Austin, points primarily to the fact that grid demand is just up so much higher than the state is accustomed to seeing in winter. Still, while it gets fixed, millions remain without power as temperatures remain in the single digits. In parts of Fort Worth, power outages at a water treatment plant have put 100,000 residents under a boil water order. And some are starting to point out that wealthier neighborhoods aren't experiencing the same amount of rolling blackouts as other neighborhoods. It's a serious situation in many ways with a lot of factors, and if you want to help out, I'm putting an article in the show notes that if you scroll to the bottom, has resources for various local organizations that you can donate to. 
Well, if all of that seriousness today is making you want to escape your reality for a little bit, I've got a great game recommendation, courtesy of Kotki.org. It's called City Guesser, and it basically plops you into a video feed of a random city, and you have to guess where you are. You can choose to play worldwide or in one of several different nations, including the US, Japan, Brazil, and more, and it has a few different features to increase difficulty if you want, as well as a new multiplayer mode so that you can play with friends. The videos are crowdsourced of people just walking around towns. You feel the point of view as if you are the one walking around the town. You can often pick up on context clues like signs, business names, license plates that might help you guess the name of the city. The additional challenge comes in finding the town on the map, which is how you input your guess. You can zoom and drag to find the exact city you're guessing, but you only get one click as your guess. I've mostly been playing in the US, and I can often tell what state it might be, but then, especially for smaller towns, I have no clue where to find the town within the state. After you guess, you get told how many miles out you were from the correct guess, which is kind of fun. City Guesser was created in August by Paul McBurney Jr., having been inspired by GeoGuesser. And like a lot of sites I've been sharing recently, it definitely feels like a pandemic creation in the way that it allows you to virtually travel the world and get a sensory experience of a different town you know, filled with people walking by and the unique sounds of each place, the kinds of things many of us are nostalgic for right now. It's a cool vibe, and it's a fun game and an interesting challenge, so check it out for yourself, link in the show notes. That is it for today. As always, this show was produced by Ride Home Media and Kotki.org. I am Jackson Bird, and I'm going to go line my shelves with pink pineapples so I can finally live out my dreams of becoming a legit influencer. I hope you have a good rest of your day, and I'll talk to you again tomorrow.